Hello and welcome to Stories from the Christmas Tour. This is episode 9. Haven't found a name for it. Well, actually, let's just go for it. Uh, Chopped lettuce does not like the straight spinach. (laughs) It seems like a weird name, but let's run with it. It's another Christmas Tour story. This is going to be a short one because it's just me. I'm trying to get some more people lined up, and I've been dead for almost a month now, mostly because of just not having a lot. The last episode was with Stephen. And that was an amazing one about libertarianism. Unfortunately, some of the events since then have come to pass. We talked about the alcohol across the provincial borders between uh, Quebec and BC, I mean, Quebec and New Brunswick. And the Supreme Court sided with New Brunswick, saying that they can do so. And they did it under a safety guise that, you know, they said basically it's for the safety of the citizens that the alcohol is controlled by the provincial authorities. You can still buy a ton of beer and alcohol in freaking in New Brunswick. So it's just that the state wants the money from the sales and they don't like it being somewhere else. Which is BS. I mean, the Supreme Court of Canada should just said, we're siding with New Brunswick because it's a tax revenue for them. But of course, taxation is theft. That's a short little one. Uh, we've also had a bit more of an issue with the um, Gateway to the East Pipeline that... Uh, Jeez, that they're trying to get done. Uh, the Kinder, the Kinder Morgan pipeline. Um, <coughs> sorry about that. That's going to BC. That doesn't look like that's going to happen. There's Kinder Morgan's having a stock meeting sometime this month in May, and they'll be deciding if they're going to do it or not. The president and the CEO of Kinder Morgan, based in Texas, the big one, not the subs, not the uh, subsidiary that actually runs in Canada. It's building the pipeline. Is not enthusiastic about it. And it looks like what the Alberta and Canadian federal government might do is they might try to nationalize the project or at least fund a large amount of it. I don't know if a lot of companies like that idea, though, because that then becomes your pipeline then becomes closer to a crown corporation. You have less control over it. And when you're tied to the government, they always expect something back. Even if it's like no strings attached money, it still looks bad in the long run. So we'll see where that goes. Um, <coughs> still, there's a bit of controversy going up in Canada about that. Um, BC is still fighting it. They have really no legal options besides from like questionably legal methods of blocking it. And yeah, they're also building a pipeline from the airport in Vancouver to one of the docks so that Asian, I believe it's tankers from Asia, can bring in. Uh, gasoline, uh, aviation fuel, although they also have passed an ordinance. uh, I think it was the federal government passed an ordinance requested by BC that restricts the size and capacity of the tankers that can come in past the, um, well, past the Vancouver Island into BC. Uh, I think it was like 12,500 tons or something of crude or fuel or something like that it was some it's a very large it's 12,500 or something unfortunately I don't know the exact size I think it's 12,500 tons of fuel but it, that might be barrels like we, we always seem to have a strange um, fiction with um, commodity sizes that technically aren't as good as they should be like bushels and it's like we don't know how big bushels are so we then have to create a uh, metric that quantifies them, and that but we still use that. 
it's like we still use barrels of oils and barrels of oil from crude to find crude, and we know those barrels are based on blah blah blah. But that's also for the commodity exchange, so it makes sense. But we also know that those barrels of oil are a certain amount of gallons. I think they're forty-eight gallon barrels. I'm not hundred percent sure, but I think that's what they are. They're standard oil field barrels, and I think they're forty-eight gallons. Uh, but I might be completely wrong on that. Let me just quickly check that up. Uh, in a related side note, I decided to investigate the oil prices. Uh, okay, uh, oil barrel size. Uh, so okay, so it's forty-two gallons of U.S. oil, uh, U.S. gallons. Okay. All right, that's 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 good to know. Uh, uh, 159 liters for you metrics. <clears throat> okay, there we go. I'm correct. It wasn't 40, it was 42. But in, Cal- in Calgary, we are paying, uh, at least the last few times I've filled up my vehicle with um, the lowest grade octane I can get from Canada, which uh, I think is 89 octane. It was, it is 89 octane. Uh, Anyway, I paid, uh, it was somewhere close, it's between $1.24 a liter to $1.37 a liter. That's what it has been the last three weeks. It's been fluctuating between that. So to put that price point in perspective, um, oil is about, is in the high 70s, high to mid 70s right now per barrel of oil. Back in 2008, oil was twice that. It was in the mid to low $140 per barrel of oil. And we were not paying $131.37 Canadian per liter at the gas station. We were paying above a dollar, but we weren't paying this much. So there's been some change. Probably uh, the biggest is most likely labor costs and taxation. And I'd say taxation is probably the single largest contributor in the raise of oil prices. Because we now have carbon tax, both in Alberta, we've got a provincial one. There's a federal one that's been created. By the way, I'm supposed to be getting rebates for that, and I don't think I got one this year. I got one last year. I know I got one the initial year it started, and it was that $200. Boy, did that go really fast. Uh, any taxation on fuel commodity is a it's a net negative for the economy. That's just me speaking. But also, considering that oil-based products drive the world right now, we don't have a nuclear-based fuel system that can power our cars. And electricity only goes so far. Like, you know, 300, you might get 300 miles out of a Tesla, um, out, out of the best Tesla, and that's pretty good distance. But almost if you get to a place that has a standard, uh, you know, 120-volt plug, you don't have a fast charge system. You might need to be there for six to eight hours to fully recharge. I think it's probably a little bit less, but I know the fast charges aren't super fast either. They work, and I, I don't dismiss them. But it does limit the range and viability, and it also means that electric trucks, specifically in North America, have the problem where they're not going to have as many refueling or power stations. In Europe, I can see that not being as much of a problem because the governments are probably willing to spend more money or at least create tax incentives for private industry to put more recharging stations in. But again, in Europe, most of the fuel, most of the electricity is being created either by natural gas, oil. I think coal is largely being phased out, but there's still a few. They don't have a lot of nuclear power, and a lot of their energy, uh, specifically petroleum-based, is definitely is coming from Russia, which does cause a problem for them. 
it means that they are not secure in their energy sources, and Russia could easily, and they have turned off uh, certain parts of that pipeline for political reasons during winter times, during winters. Uh, I don't think they've done it in a... T- I'm fairly certain the last time I remember hearing they did that was pre-2009-ish, so it's been a while. Maybe they've done one in the early 2000s, but they haven't done one since they knew they were hosting the Olympics uh, for 2014, which is good, but, you know. Uh, what else is talking about? I was playing uh, most recent acquisition in my video game archives. I've got a few. So I bought Far Cry 4, mostly because I want to play Far Cry 5. Uh, my roommate's playing Far Cry 5 on his PlayStation 4, <coughs> and it's an f- amazingly fun-looking game. But I've played Far Cry 3, which was one of my favorite games. I've got over 120 hours on Steam logged in. It's one of my most played games. And that was most of that time was after I beat the game. I just set up traps and ambush uh, the AI. Far Cry 4 is a similar game. Uh, it's not based on Island, uh, which is nice. It's based more in a Himalayas-like thing. I've only just started. I started playing it yesterday. I'm going to play some more of it today. It's a fun <coughs> game. <coughs> Jesus, cough is annoying. Uh, PlayStation 4, I have played God of War 4, or God of War for the PlayStation 4, um, also known as Dad of Boy or Dad of War. There's many pseudonyms for that name, like a lot of nicknames that have been given to that game by the gaming community. It's a fun game. I'm honestly surprised about how fun that was. I was not a big God of War fan in the original. Like I didn't have a PlayStation 2 until after the system was kind of at its end, and I didn't have a PlayStation 3. Um, I still don't have a PlayStation 3. Uh, I'm not really interested in buying one, mostly because the only games I can start playing on PlayStation 3 have either been remastered on the PlayStation 4 or were online-only games and their services are now shut down, so I have no desire to play them. And, I mean, I, I do want to play the original God of War trilogy because I think it's been... They've all been remastered. The original God of War trilogy has been remastered on the PlayStation 4, um, at least to a degree, or at least playable. They're emulated on it. Uh there's also the PlayStation Plus games. I, I mean, PlayStation, you know, portable PSP Vita games, which are cool. I haven't played them. I don't have PlayStation Vita. It's amazing how long the Vita's actually been around when you think about it. I think that Vita came out around the 3DS or probably pre-3DS. Sony just hasn't really loved it in North America. Apparently, it's still doing great in Japan. Good on them for that. I uh, haven't gotten around considering getting an Xbox uh, One X maybe in the future. I do want to play some of the Xbox games. I have some of them. I do want to play some more of them. I, I wouldn't mind playing Halo 4 Halo 5. Halo 4 is for the 360, so I could download it. <coughs> I would like to play Halo 5. And there are a few games on the Xbox that are worth playing. However, I've noticed that the party games are not on the Xbox. At least there's a few. The ones I would think would be great couch party games, such as Gang Beast, which is not on the Xbox, and Duck Game is not on the Xbox, are, is astronomical to me. Like, those are two amazing games. Another game I hope that comes to <coughs> consoles in the long run is Invisigun Heroes, which is another couch uh, party game where everybody's invisible and you shoot the guys... I hope that game's getting enough support on the internet that it can keep going. Uh, I've also been playing Ghost Recon Wildlands, which is actually fun, ridiculously fun. Uh, Their gunsmith mode that they brought over from uh, Ghost Recon Future Warrior. It's pretty good. I like how it's much more modifiable 
and how the open world of this actually makes the game feel a little bit better. It is a large map, and you do pick the areas you want to get involved in first, and blah, 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 blah. I don't think that's a real big detriment to the game. It does feel like there's a full world there. And, you know, I don't know. It feels fun. It, it like, it rewards you for being stealthy in tactics, and there are times when you have to go full, like, suppressors off, heavy machine guns just blowing guys away. But it does make you feel real, like, you can only take a few hits and you're dead, and you gotta take cover, and you gotta use, you gotta plan your attack, and you can use this drone to do that, and you can use it to EMP targets. It, it sounds like a fun game, like, it, and it is. I'm happy I waited to buy it on sale. I don't think I would have appreciated it as much if I bought it brand new. I don't like how um, some of the firearms are in a legitimate paywall that you actually have to pay Ubisoft to buy their in-game currency that you can't mine in-game. Like, it just doesn't exist. You have to buy their Ubisoft coins and use it in that game. That, and I don't know if they're usable in other Tom Clancy or other games, but it's just like, uh, I, I don't like the idea of games as services, but all the big publishers seem to move, try to move in that way. I don't know if they've been holding on that well. It seems like they're a little scared of it now, specifically after what happened to Battlefront 2. However, uh, sports games seem to walk their way around. Also, Belgium. Uh, it was Belgium, I think, ruled that loot boxes are technically gambling, and it's hard to fight that. And I know that some of the companies are trying to, but I don't think they're going to have a successful go at that. I just w wish that they were honest with you about loot boxes. <clears throat> either have this an in-game only currency that you work and you get it by playing the game <clears throat> or have a, a code that it's random what you get but you don't get duplicates you don't get something you already have so it has a higher chance of so although their way around that would be a bunch of single use or one time single use items or very low grade items like there's ways they can get around that and it's kind of annoying um makes me wish that the it kind of makes me wish that the AAA publishing houses and the AAA video game industry did not have have stocks, were not publicly traded companies, who were completely privately traded, because they'd probably be less driven on making massive profits as well as high revenues. If they were privately held, they might be more considered about long-term lifestyle of their company versus making all the money right now. Also, we know that the Nintendo Switch is getting a cloud-saving system, which is good. The problem with that is you got to pay for their online gaming subscription. You don't have to pay that for that on uh, uh, Xbox, so credit to Microsoft for giving that for free. That was a great idea. Oh, I'm also soon going to upgrade to Windows 10 on my home PC. It's about time. And I'm going to start looking into investing money into building a streaming computer because when the next big election, be it Canadian or U.S., I want to be able to live stream and make some good things. Also got a uh, very nice-looking soundboard here that's going to be used both for podcasting and for live events. Looking to expanding in that with my brother. Uh, we've got a event like that coming up on June 5th here in Calgary. Practically none of you who are listening to this are going to come, but a family uh, friend of ours, uh, Jeff Poole, runs a lawyer firm, Pool Lawyers, and they're doing a, and Pool has started, Jeff, um, Jeff Pool has decided that he wants to do these talks um, displaying the art scene in Calgary. 
and he's done two. Um, he himself has only been head of one. One of his employees did another one, which I didn't go to the first one. I helped my brother do the second one, which was Chris Cran, who's a painter and artist here in Calgary. Of one of the the top Calgary based like traditional art scene people, and the next one is happening on June fifth. And Chris Cran's wife, who is involved in the theater scene, is being interviewed. Um, which I will also be helping on. And it's interesting. It's, it's good that we finally have this being done. It should have been done a long time ago. Uh, the internet makes it way easier for it to be done. So my brother, we have three video cameras. We get mics. We do this. It, it works. Like If it, we made it, like for the tier of what we're doing, it's pretty good. My brother's really good at editing the video and the audio, and we, we get some good quality stuff out of it. And we're happy this is our third go, and we hope that more of this is happening being in Calgary. And if we're the only ones doing it, it's kind of sad. I mean, me not being a traditional artist, or like I don't even think I'm actually that much of an artist in general. I don't think my writing is worthy of being considered art great. I don't think my video gaming would be art, which is why I don't stream myself playing video games. Uh, don't think my audio skills are art. Uh, there may be something I'm an artist at. I don't know what it is yet. I mean, technically, art is in the eye of the beholder. I, you know, maybe I'm a good photographer. I don't think so. I think I'm an okay photographer. I've got some good pictures. I've been lucky enough to take. But I think that's also been uh, helped out by the fact that today we have this amazing technology that makes this stuff easier. Again, it's going back to... How much I'm spending to do this podcast? Like, how much physical assets I'm spending to do this? I have to have a website I can host this stuff on, which is a subscription service. If I had enough money, I could host it on my own server myself and not have any problem with that. Uh, microphones and the technology for that has gone down. Soundboards are relatively cheap, and they're able to record and compress and do this stuff that 20 years ago you probably needed half a room worth of material here i have one that takes up the space of a small of a medium-sized you know 15 inch laptop it's amazing what you can do today and how you can do in-field recording with a uh, you know the zoom h6 how you can travel that around and it's got a xy mic it's got a mid side mic you can get um you can get two more xlr inputs on it to have bring it up to six only four of them can be phantom powered though though um and then you can get two shotgun mics for it you can get a single shot a single um, mono shotgun mic you can get a stereo shotgun mic for that sucker <coughs> and just how this technology for recording and stuff has just gone so high and it's just amazing what you're able to do today with this technology which years ago this was imaginary like you couldn't have done this and the same with just thinking about, like, uh, my brother and I were talking today about just how technology has gone. So this is 2018. I'm recording this. Go back 25 years. Go to 1993 and tell somebody that we're going to have, by 2008, let's see, like 10 years ago, we started having, you know, the iPhone was coming out in 2009, that we were going to have a touchscreen computer in our hands that could make phone calls Send messages, watch, watch, technically watch TV, because YouTube is sort of a TV <coughs> thing. Watch TV networks through subscription services. Get your email, social network, 
all on a device that has enough power to run for about 8 to 12 hours, depending on how new it is. My OnePlus One is pretty old, so I'm getting close to... I can probably get 7 hours out of it of brutal use. <laughs> on, like, just... I think it's about set, truly like six hours if I'm just only doing web streaming and watching videos. You know, it's on Wi-Fi. So, you know, it, it, but, you know, this is a five-year-old phone, so that's not that bad. But they wouldn't have believed you. I mean, they thought that the idea of television anywhere was coming. It's just, we got to it. It's just a different way. Of, you know, it's not the way the TV companies would want. It's not the way the cable companies would have wanted it. It's not the way the networks would have wanted it. Fortunately, they're, the old-style advertisers are still fighting for them, and we're seeing that through the YouTube ads. You know, ad issue, ad apocalypse, or, you know, like the issues with monetization on YouTube and similar sources and how new systems are rising up to take their place, like you're having BitChute, um, Pornhub, even allowing non-pornographic material on there. <clears throat> I love it. One of my uh, favorite YouTube channels and just favorite video producers, Enrage.tv, which when I'm watching a computer, I'm watching on BitChute just to provide them the views on BitChute. But more often than not, like, you know, I watch them on YouTube on my phone just because that's a way to get it. I can also watch them on Facebook on my phone. But they also are on Pornhub. And there was a good joke that if you... You know, what's the difference between YouTube and Pornhub? Well, at least Pornhub's going to take off uh, any abuse of a minor. Yeah, and they're not. Pornhub is not going to allow anything that's explicitly illegal anywhere they distribute to. So, and by that, like they're not going to allow child pornography. They're not going to allow abuse. Like, I don't want to be on Pornhub. My Christian belief doesn't want me to go on Pornhub, and I don't like the idea of Pornhub. At least the distribution of pornographic material. I don't like that personally. However, I have no problem with them doing it the way they're doing it, and I have. I kind of have an appreciation for them fighting for the free speech and willing to bring on um, the idea of free exchange of ideas from other their sources and other people. Good on them. And if they're able to monetize that in a way to keep them going, great. If they have to go to a subscription-based monetization service where people lock in and pay so much a month or so much a year to get it, like Netflix or Amazon Prime and blah, 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 Crave TV and various other systems, um, so be it. That's what happens. That might be how it's doing it, but it's definitely much more to the individual versus to the broad spectrum of here are your choices. You can make tons of choices now. Um, but yeah, it, we were also talking about the idea of the singularity and how I think within my lifetime, and I'm not super old, but I'm getting, like, you know, I'm not old. I'm not super young either. I mean, depending on who I you are, I might be young, I might not be. But I think within my lifetime, we're going to see the life expectancy go up many years. We're going to see me medical advancements that we hadn't seen before. And I do think that there might be a colony on the moon. maybe, And hopefully colonization of Mars by then. And I wouldn't be surprised with human technology and the growth of AI and how that's working together. How within, you know, by the 22nd, 22nd or start of the 23rd century we might have the ability to move very fast in space. We might be able to colonize more planets. We might be able to make starships this kilometers long that can take hundreds of people anywhere, maybe even thousands of people. I think we can get to that point. I think humanity just has that drive that is so amazing that we can get there. I don't know. I don't think it's going to be easy. 
It's definitely not. It's definitely going to be a fight. But it seems every time we come to the precipice of annihilation, we do amazing things. We did it in the early 1900s when we were running out of food, and we came up with artificial fertilizer. Now we're starting to realize that that artificial fertilizer wasn't the best. So we've made GMO foods that work in regular ground, ground that's doing great. Except now we have people fighting the genetically modified foods because they think it's bad for you. Well, bad news for you people. Don't eat orange carrots because orange carrots are genetically modified organisms. All the way back to the orange family in Europe. When that was the royal family. I think that was, that was Netherlands or Denmark. <laughs> they might be... Yeah, it's one of those two uh, where the orange family is the royal family. And that's how carrots became orange because they used to be purple and white. And they selectively bred them to be orange to respect the orange family in that country. And that's how orange carrots became a big thing. And that's that's a very dis, like very simple distillation of that. So yeah, there's that uh, news today. Uh, U.S. Embassy is, has <coughs> started its move to Jerusalem. There's a few offices there in the consulate building, but it is the official embassy, and it'll take a while. Like while the f- real embassy site is being built, there's been conflict on the Gaza and and. Uh, and West Bank side of Israel with the Palestinians um, getting into fights with them and people have been killed. How, how Hamas terrorist groups are leading some of these and some are legitimate protests. I'm not going to say they aren't. Like You've lost your land. Um, I, You know, it kind of sucks. <coughs> Israel's the only democracy in the Middle East that actually defends civil rights, but the way they got there was by Sort of, co- well, let's face it, there's a religious conflict between the Jewish-Israeli <coughs> ethnostate and the Arab ethnostate that used to be there, that was named Palestine by British historians. <coughs> and there's just been a history of conflict in that area. And the Middle East is just that way. So there's not there's not too much you can really do about that. Yeah. You know, there's the old saying, if Israel put down the guns, they'd be annihilated. If the Arabs put down their guns, there'd be peace. I don't know if that's completely true. I Actually, I don't think it's completely true. I think there's radicals on both sides. I do see the, from my Western perspective, thinking that Israel is more in the right, but at the same time, use a force to defend yourself. <clears throat> Where somebody throws a stone at you in a non-fatal way, like it hits the building you're in, and you fire back with machine gun fire and kill them, doesn't look that good. Now, I know the news is tilted to the left, and left-wing politics are typically anti-Israel, <coughs> anti-Israeli, specifically the settlement side. The economics of it are undeniable that Israel has economically succeeded. However, certain parts of the West Bank has been under a blockade for a long time, both Israeli and Egyptian. And it's, it's, it's a mess. I don't think there's people who have the full answer. I don't think there will ever be people who have the full answer. I think it's going to take tons of people to get a workable answer. Peace is hard. It takes all sides to play. And even if the side that wants the peace the most, the Israelis, as long as there's one bad apple pushing for militarization or something, or even Israeli civilians going out of the way to cause problems, it's just going to be a hard fight. And the Middle East has my sympathy for that. Syria is becoming another big cluster. Uh, 
not too much has been talked on about that besides from <coughs> recently <coughs> recently there was pictures of US special forces operating alongside French special forces units in Syria going after ISIS as well as multiple uh, groups in Syria fighting each other and we have no idea who's going to win the problem is is that the winner may not be who we want like the winner may be on our side but may not be the person we actually want winning so that's going to be a hard fight to get around um what else have we got talking about China's uh, preparing to build their own nation, like their own aircraft carrier, which is going to be a large ship. It might be larger than the uh, the one they bought from Ukraine that they said originally was going to be turned into a casino, but then was turned into an operational aircraft carrier. And it's supposed to be fully operational this year. Like they're, they've had it on multiple patrols and training exercises, but I... I and they send it out in a flotilla of 40 ships uh, to show itself off when the U.S. was moving one of their carrier groups to the region. I don't know if it's 100% operational yet or if it's like they're getting there. I know that they need, uh, at least the last time I read on it, which was over a year ago, they were having issues with their pilots. And the, thing, the, their, um, the SU-33s that they were flying on them, the flankers that they were flying, their engines they were producing domestically weren't good enough for carrier operations. They had to buy a lot of Russian engines to make up, make up the uh, quality difference, and they needed more Russian pilots to train them. And the Russian um, Su-33 flankers that they fly off, the Russian aircraft carrier, I can't remember the name, this Admiral I.K., I can't actually pronounce the name of it, um, that they're switching to MiG, uh, I think MiG-35 variants are supposed to be replacing them. I'm not 100% sure about that. That was talked about. I don't know if there was financial capability to do that. Uh, it's just it, it's an interesting talk to be on and see that. And then we've got North Korea, which there's peace talks going on between them, whether it will be something great or not. The last time uh, there was any big peace talks was pre-Kim Jong-il. It was um, Kim Il-sung, uh, the original president and leader of North Korea, before he died, and then Kim Jong-il kind of closed everything off, and then Kim Jong-un took over, and kind of went crazy himself, and Kim Jong-il reacted with the nuclear program, and now um, Kim Jong-un's nuclear training facility, or nuclear test facility, is kind of collapsing on itself, so gravity's done that work, but whether that's the end of them or not is, you know, we'll, we'll see. I don't think that these peace talks are going to end with North Korea allowing their citizens to cross into South Korea at any time and travel. I think what it is is predominantly for international people to have an easier time visiting North Korea. Still going to be state-controlled visits, but at least to get more tourist dollars in and maybe as a way to reduce the, the volatility of the regime and the, the level of um, subhumanness that the regime treats their citizens of might make them do better so that they're able to import more food or at least have more let the sanctions eased up. We'll have to see. I have a friend who knows more about that. Hopefully he'll be on the podcast within this month. We'll see. It would be great if he is. <clears throat> um, we'll keep that up. I'm planning to do much more more weekly podcast episodes, even if it's just myself and these short <coughs> ones like this. Um, also, just want to throw out a recommendation for a podcast that I've been listening to. Mm. Besides from the fifth column, um, my brother put me on to um, "Hello from the Magic Tavern," which is done by uh, done by uh, Arnie Niekamp and uh, 
two of two co two sort of co-conspirators, um, uh, which I, I only know the name of the guy who plays Usador the Wizard, which is Matt Young. Um, sorry, uh, sorry, uh, you who plays Shunt. Um, I just can't remember your name. Uh, I'm completely sorry about that. That, but it's a it's a it's an improv podcast run out of the Chicago podcast co-op, and. There's like two or three other side podcasts related to the project, but it's really fun. I'm only 14 episodes in, and they've been. It's a weekly, and they're about 30 minutes long, and they're they're very well done. Like they've created this great uh, space to work in, and they just keep adding on to it. And they're great storytellers, all of them, and they're the people they the other comedians and podcasters they have on who play guests in the magical world of Foon. I wish I could do that. I don't think I could. I would have to have a script in some degree. But, you know, it would be cool. It would be very cool to do that. Hopefully they come and do, like, a live showing here in Alberta and Calgary so I could go and see them. It would be cool. <laughs> Usador the Blue. <laughs> and anything else I really need to talk about today? Uh... Switch is supposed to be getting Hyrule Warriors Definitive Edition this week, uh, 18th it comes out. I think you can start preloading it now, which is good on Nintendo. I'm thinking I will. It's weird seeing Nintendo games digitally being the same price as if I buy them physically. And I understand that that uh, I'm looking for a micro SD card holder for my Nintendo Switch so I can trade off. I got enough space to download probably two or three more games. I think I got 35. No, I've got close to 50 gigs left on my uh, my current card I have in there, which is 128. I would like to get a 240, 256 in there next time. And it feels like Nintendo's done a good thing with their Switch. Unfortunately, there has been, you know, somebody found out how to make the Integra unit, uh, ha- hack the Integra unit, and boot that from a Linux system, which is turns out what the Switch is operating on. People thought it was an Android, which Android, uh, you know, most things run on a Unix-based system now, so nothing's too surprising anymore. And the only way to change that is actually physically change the architecture of the unit so that you can't exploit that weakness. So that means the next generation of Switches, which hopefully don't have a major hardware change app, but would be designed to stop that flaw. And also the cloud saving being part of your subscription system that you actually have to pay for. slightly annoying, but... They should have released a way for us to pull our saves off the Switch manually and back them up to our own computers or create a system that we could save it or move them onto the SD cards or something. Like, I can see that that shouldn't have been that hard for Nintendo to do. And the only only reason they're doing it is I think they still have some old world thinking in that. And it's crazy because you could back the saves of the Wii U onto onto a... portable hard drive and externally save that or onto USBs. And you can't do that with the Nintendo Switch. Someone tells me that was more of a... I don't think that's an American thing. I think Nintendo of America would have been much more on the side of, like, let the users control their thing. Control it? I think that's more of a Wii U. I think that was more of a Japanese decision. Of course, I may be completely wrong on that. It may have been both sides said, well, let's hold off and do it to it uh, our way. Although they were supposed to have cloud services apparently at like last September. So, hmm, I don't know. I'm not as tuned into the game industry as I used to be. And Ace Combat 7, I read on Reddit 
on the Ace Combat re- subreddit that apparently uh, September 21st might be a potential release date because it was from a European video game retailer who's given away release dates many times in the past and pretty much all of them have been spot on. Like when they said that date, they were 100% correct. So that might be possible, September 21st. Uh, that would be nice. That's about four months away, considering that we're in May and this is May 14th. So that's four months and a week away. Slightly annoying. We have to wait that long. I would have loved for it to come out earlier. Uh, I, kind of, I almost had a heart attack recently because I went uh, to... Uh, I was looking at that game's release date, and on Wikipedia, somebody had updated it to <laughs> delayed until 2019. I'm like, that. I would have heard about that, and it was to a non-existent article on uh, on IGN. I think it maybe wasn't even a correct article written about Ace Combat. Maybe it was somebody else's game. Or maybe it was about the, how um, Ace Combat 4, 5, and potentially 6 might be being remastered. I don't know if there's, that's 100% true. Because that uh, apparently that rumor had a hiring position went down, and it might have actually been related to uh, future content for Ace Combat Seven. However, that's pretty late in the hiring process for Ace Combat Ace Combat Seven. If that came, if that uh, that job posting was last month or in March, it was either in April or March. That's pretty late in development. Uh, that being said, a good team can definitely put a lot of stuff through in a lot of, in a very short period of time if they know how to do it and have experience. So we're almost at 40 minutes here, and I think I'm going to call this guy pretty quickly. Uh, you know, chop lettuce, hate straight spinach. <laughs> I don't know where I come up with these names. So as I come up with them, fly. Sometimes they're funny. Most of the time they're not. The CRISPR drawer is obviously a fight going on. Uh, soon there will be a revolution between the broccoli and the carrots, but who knows how that will go. So yeah, that's uh, yeah talking. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. I don't know if I had anything bigger to talk about that was really pressing or worthy of my time. I mean, there's tons of news stories. It's just, is it worth me focusing on them when other people are doing a much better job of them? Is it worth me getting to the U.S. gun control debate? Not really. I don't live in the United States. I personally wish I had a PKM machine gun. Only because I would love to have one uh, at at my ranch and would be able to shoot it at my firing range. Practically no... Like, there's no practical purposes for one besides from an emplaced weapon. And only fully automatic, but whatever. Cool to have. Um, that's just a random thought. What else? Uh, eh, I guess uh, I guess that's pretty much it. Uh Maybe we'll do a long cast one soon if I get a guest. Again, like May 28th is a potential for having a long cast. It depends on uh, what Rob, if he wants to do an episode or not. That's completely up to him. I'm not going to even force it on him. I'll talk to him this week about the potential. And then uh, I might... Hmm. else? What other games have I played super recently? I'm still playing a little bit of Gran Turismo. It's sad that like since the since April, there's been a trip feed of cars. Like they added two Audi uh, to the GT Vision, and they added uh, one of the Toyota Supras. Not 100 percent sure which one. Uh, 
haven't gotten all the regular driving cars yet. Still working on that. And I, there has to be an update coming up soon. Like, there has to be either an end of month. Because I know there's a big racing championship going on right now in the uh, Gran Turismo season. So I think that they're probably holding off till this racing season or whatever they're running is done, this championship's done. And then they'll release some new car content just because it, you know, it may not be fair. Um, I don't even know if there's a fairness in that, but probably some people have ridiculously millions and millions of dollars uh, in credits in that game or millions of credits in that game and could quickly buy a new car and tune it and within a few days tune it the right way to a big race or something. I'd have to see. I don't know if that's being done or not. I would not be surprised if some guys are doing it for fun as sports races, but I doubt that people are... Actually, I can't even say that. I have no I have no uh, metric to bet if people are or aren't doing that for the main races for the G, for the grade one through four, but and the rally cars. Who knows? Uh, anyway, that's about it. This is Jaws punching out stories from the crisper drawer. Chop lettuce, hate straight spinach. Bye.